Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I am Dr. Alana Morris, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology and Director of Heart Failure Research at the Emory University Clinical Cardiovascular Research Institute at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the second episode in a two-part series on advances in the evaluation and management of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. This episode is titled, Advances in HEFREF, Evidence-Based Management. Joining me is my friend and colleague, Dr. James Januzzi. Jim is a cardiologist at the Massachusetts General Hospital, the Hutter Family Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, and a trustee of the American College of Cardiology, and also the medical director at the Bain Institute for Clinical Research in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Jim. So glad you could join me today. Thanks very much, Dr. Morris. Really happy to be here. In this podcast, we're going to discuss exciting new developments in the management of patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Jim, before we talk about these new agents, how are we doing with guideline-directed medical therapy now? Yeah, such an important question, right? Because we have a, a flurry of, of new therapies that are of benefit for our patients. But the question is, even before we get to those therapies, how are we doing with the things that we should have been doing already? And it's pretty clear based on clinical practice guidelines that there are well-identified agents and even target doses for the patients that have the diagnosis of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. And these more traditional or historical choices include beta blockers, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, and ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. But this is the challenge that sometimes gets set up by clinical practice guidelines, which tell you um, why you should do something. You should use these drugs, but they often don't tell you how to use them and, and what ways to apply them and get them um, titrated to target dose. And so because of this fact, many of our patients, most of our patients, do not receive all components of this guideline-directed medical therapy. And when they are used, most, if almost all, are not titrated to target. So for example, in the, the CHAMP-HF registry, which looked at more than 3,000 patients in the United States, a very contemporary snapshot of, um, of patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction. Thinking of those classes of drugs, beta blockers, MRAs, and ACE-ARB, only 1% of patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction were receiving target doses of those three foundational therapy groups. And so because of this, it's become quite clear that there is a real priority for implementation. And there are a number of sources um, looking at this question, but uh, I was um, uh, a participant in the American College of Cardiology Expert Consensus Decision Pathway document that was recently updated for the, the evaluation and management of patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. And these documents, unlike telling you why you should do something, it, they're really focused on how to do something. And that's exactly what I think clinicians need. Assistance in understanding which drugs, when, and how is really the priority at this stage. I mean, that number is really staggering, 1%. And I, I tell people all the time in advanced heart failure clinic, often what we do is really this, is, is to add the MRA. And oftentimes we sort of come out looking like heroes, even though patients are often sent to us for an evaluation for a transplant or a VAD. Um, oftentimes it's something just simple as adding spironolactone and, and changing the diuretic is a, a big bulk of what we do in advanced heart failure clinic. 
Um, tell us more about the 2021 expert consensus update. What was the focus of that document and, and what were the new recommendations that were made that we need to know about? Sure, thanks so much. And I completely agree that um, excellent guideline-directed medical therapy application can really transform the life of our patients. And as you said, it makes you look like a star when the ejection fraction rises by 20% when you get the appropriate therapies in place. And that's really at the core of the 2021 update of the expert consensus decision pathway document. Because again, we're really providing more of a how-to approach to the evaluation of patients. And it's not just about guideline-directed medical therapy many subjects about care coordination, management of comorbidities, patient adherence, managing the costs of care, something that is critically, critically important for our patients, as well as the unfortunate need to sometimes trans, um, uh, transition to an end-of-life approach for our patients that are not candidates for advanced heart failure management. But of course, one major um, change in the document was the inclusion of two newer therapies as frontline therapy for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. And that includes angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors, as well as SGLT2 inhibitors. For, for Secubitril valsartan, the only ARNI that's currently available, rather than starting a patient on an ACE inhibitor or ARB, which causes needless delay before transitioning to optimal care, the recommendation was to go straight to Secubitril valsartan for an eligible patient. For SGLT2 inhibitors, based on both the DAPA-HF study and the EMPEROR-REDUCE study, we now recommend going straight to an SGLT2 inhibitor in people with symptomatic um, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. So um, let's get into that a little bit more because obviously most of us have been using the ACEs and ARBs for decades. I mean, these aren't bad drugs and, and clinical inertia is a very real thing. Um, so I think it's worth spending a little bit of time talking about why we should use the ARNIS first-line therapy over the ACE and the ARB. Um, and to be fair, the European Heart Failure Guidelines were just published within the last few weeks and they do go in a slightly different direction than the ACC document as it pertains to the ARNIS first-line. Um, versus allowing patients to fail on an ACE or an ARB and then moving to the ARNI. So um, bottom line on top, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know, the, the aspect of switching patients with HFREF who are currently stable on an ACE or an ARB versus, again, going to the ARNI as first-line therapy. Wow, so much to unpack there. So let me start off by saying preventing failure of therapy is exactly what we should be doing, not waiting for it to be responsive or to, to, to be reactive. To be very clear, the European Society of Cardiology in their guideline, once again, falling prey to what guideliners tend to do, which is say why you should do something without saying how, actually didn't say all that much different than what we put in the ACC expert consensus, consensus document. They, in fact, say, sure, you can go straight to Secubitril valsartan. They, they give that as a class 1B. What they actually say in the document is, if you start with an ACE inhibitor, you should switch to Secubitril valsartan. Um, so here's the question. How often do you see individual patients coming to their general clinician getting started on a drug with the plan to come back in four weeks and we'll switch you to another therapy that then requires titration. And that's the concern that we have, which is that on the one hand, the Paradigm HF study, not in a way to create this concept of starting an ACE inhibitor and then switching to ARNI, 
um, randomized patients against well-titrated ACE inhibitor versus well-titrated ARNI in a goal to say, which one is better? So there's no biological precedent here. There's no biological reason why you have to start on an ACE or an ARB. Furthermore, if you're completely stable and feel fine on an ACE or an ARB, I remind everyone that a stable heart failure patient is a contradiction in a, in, a, in a sentence, right? The goal here is to maximize therapies that reduce risk. And unfortunately, by starting with one class with the idea that you're going to switch to another in a few weeks creates that ideal opportunity for inertia that you mentioned. Lastly, from clinical trials, we see that the benefits of Secubitril Valsartan appear very early after being started and by waiting to switch a patient to an, from an ACE inhibitor to Secubitril Valsartan creates the opportunity for a complication to occur. There are now several randomized and non-randomized studies showing that it is not only safe to go straight to Secubitril Valsartan, but in fact, those patients receiving de novo therapy without starting on an ACE or an ARB, for example, in the PROVE-HF study had even more reverse remodeling compared to those patients who started on an ACE or an ARB and then were switched. So we saw no reason in the writing committee to, to toe the line of saying that because Paradigm had a run-in period with both ACE inhibitor and uh, ARNI and then randomization that we needed to recreate that artificial construct in clinical practice. That's fantastic. Um, now let's discuss the use of SGLT2 inhibitors. We now know this class of drugs has benefits in patients with type 2 diabetes, HEFREF, HEFPEF, and CKD. But walk us through the rationale and evidence for using these agents as first line and HEFREF. So I'll rewind back about five years to when the EMPAREG outcome study was first read out. And this was a cardiovascular outcomes trial whose goal was to prove the, the safety of empagliflozin in patients with type 2 diabetes. And although heart failure was not a primary endpoint in this study, it was actually a non-pre-specified secondary outcome that was looked at post hoc, the impact of empagliflozin on heart failure complications in Empareg was dramatic. And then we saw it again in Canvas. And then we saw it again in Declare. These are all randomized trials of patients with diabetes. They weren't heart failure trials, but it was quite obvious that something was up with these drugs with respect to their impact on heart failure risk. Very rapidly upon seeing those results, a number of randomized controlled trials were stood up to evaluate the added benefit of SGLT2 inhibition on top of usual care for reduced and preserved heart failure, as you mentioned. In the DAPA-HF and EMPEROR-REDUCE studies, these trials both reported significantly reduced incidence of heart failure endpoints when an SGLT2 inhibitor was added to standard guideline-directed medical therapy for heart failure with reduced EF. For example, they showed a 25% reduction in the risk of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalization, and a 30% reduction in the total aggregate heart failure hospitalization burden in patients treated with these therapies. As well, given the established benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors on kidney function, these drugs lower intraglomerular pressure by effects on the afferent arteriole, and, and this is done through tubular glomerular feedback, 
Um, we see that SGLT2 inhibitors may retard loss of kidney function in patients with heart failure. And what's really remarkable is that the benefit is regardless of a background of diabetes. And this is important for the listeners to understand that if a person without diabetes takes an SGLT2 inhibitor, they won't get hypoglycemic because the way these drugs work is they depend on circulating hyperglycemia for their effects. So we can use these drugs as general heart failure therapies. Um, and, and how these drugs benefit heart failure remains a complete mystery. It may be that they're so-called smart diuretics, enhancing diuresis and naturesis without activating the renin-angiotensin system. But importantly, a recent study, a couple of them actually, have now shown improvements in cardiac remodeling parameters in patients with reduced ejection fraction, implying somewhat of a constant benefit of all the GDMT we give for heart failure leading to improved structure and function of the heart muscle. So it sounds like the consensus is that what's emerged from these recent studies is really a new standard of care for HEFREF. Um, for most patients, we'll, uh, we'll include four drugs, an evidence-based beta blocker, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, the RNE, and an SGLT2 inhibitor. Um, and what's the expected benefit of this new combination compared to what's long been our standard of care? Can you quantify that? Sure. Great question. So four drugs, five pathways inhibited. We, we, you hear us talk a lot in the heart failure world, not that we're prone to hyperbole, but we talk about the new four pillars of heart failure therapy, as you just listed. Well, it's, it's recognized from now retrospective, but um, uh, nonetheless well-powered studies that these drugs have additive benefits. So it's not an either or. It's uh, you know angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor, evidence-based beta blocker, MRA, and SGLT2 inhibitor. And each individually is associated with reverse, uh, reverse cardiac remodeling, improved quality of life, as well as reductions in cardiovascular events. The question you asked is, what can we expect for our patients? And while we don't have randomized trials of prior not-so-good therapy versus optimal therapy, as I've just articulated, there are modeling studies that have suggested that in a middle-aged male patient compared to an ACE inhibitor and beta blocker, which sadly is not that unusual a medical program in, our, in what we see in everyday practice, the four-drug approach may add more than eight years of additional event-free survival uh, with fewer hospitalizations and less death. And so it's, it's critically important that clinicians get aboard on this and get our patients started. Now, it's not entirely straightforward and starting the combination requires paying close attention to blood pressure, heart rate, laboratories, down titrating loop diuretics as you get them onto an angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor and SGLT2 inhibitor. Um, and really monitoring patients. And this is where working together with cardiovascular specialists or even advanced heart failure um, specialists, just to get your patient on the optimal medical therapy may be necessary. At the Massachusetts General heart, uh, Hospital Heart Center, we have a, a what's called GDMT clinic where patients get their medicines optimized and then released back to the, the general practice physician in order to make sure that we get these patients on the right medicines. We make this point in the American College of Cardiology Expert Consensus Decision Pathway document as well, pointing out that if you have limited heart rate or blood pressure to spend, getting all four of these drugs on board is probably preferable than using higher doses of one or two of them. 
And then monitoring them closely is going to be critically important. I remind people that SGLT2 inhibitors may cause a bit of worsening kidney function, not because of acute kidney injury, but because of this effect that I mentioned on the afferent arteriole and GFR. And so just monitoring um, over time without overreacting to changes like that is critically important in order to succeed. Jim, I think that last point that you made was so critical, so I'll repeat it. I think we all agree that using all four meds at lower doses is preferable to using fewer medications at, at higher doses. So I think that's just really a critical point. I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me and share your expertise on HEFREF and how we can do a better job of optimizing the treatment of our patients with all the tools we have at our disposal. I think you provided some great information to our colleagues today. Thanks very much. It's really a pleasure to speak with you today. And really, at the end of it all, it's all about better care for our patients. So whatever we can do to improve the administration of guideline-directed medical therapy earlier and more often for our patients, that would be a big win. If you're interested in learning more about HEFREF, join us for the first part of my discussion with Jim titled Advances in HEFREF Stratifying the Risk, where we discuss risk stratification in patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction to identify those patients that need more aggressive care. You can also go to the NACE website at naceonline.com and register for any of our other enduring activities on heart failure or any other program we have developed. Please like us on Facebook at NACE CME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs we share. I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this podcast. I hope you have learned something new that you can bring back to your clinical practice. We look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the future.